0: This week, The Times is doing a repeat of sorts. I know, you're saying, um, isn't it kind of early for y'all to be taking a break? But trust me, we ain't lounging around. We're working on a big project, so we just need a little bit of extra time. So this week, we're gonna re-air a four-part podcast I did back in 2019 in collaboration with Futuro Studios and then end the week with an update to it all. The issue? Oh, just one of the most important political fights for Latinos in the U.S. ever. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is Monday, July 19th, 2021. Today, part one of This is California, the Battle of 187. We take you back to a time where the Golden State wasn't a progressive paradise. And how Republicans decided undocumented immigrants were California's true problem and thus needed to be demonized. How'd it work out for them? now, here's episode one of This is California, the Battle of 187. Take it away, Pastor Gustavo. Some people call them illegal immigrants. Others use the words undocumented, aliens. Americans have all sorts of names, nice and not, for the 11 million or so people in the United States who are not legal residents. I have a different name for them. Friends, family, people I grew up with. The people I interview for stories that I write for the Los Angeles Times. And my dad. That's him, Lorenzo Arellano. He's telling me about the first time he crossed the border in 1968 to come to the US, jammed in the trunk of a Chevy. ¿Y cuánto pagó? How much did you pay? Uh, 125 He was then 18 from a poor rural village in Mexico. Dad settled first at East Los Angeles, then ended up in Orange County. So being a so-called illegal immigrant was never a big deal to me. In fact, I didn't even know people hated them until I was a sophomore in high school when something happened that I'll never forget. It's October, 1994, one of those damn Southern California autumns where the weather is hot and windy. I'm 15 years old outside Anaheim High School, go colonists, and the school day's done. So I'm walking home when out of nowhere Some white boys yell at me from a truck. At first, I don't know what they're saying. Then I make it out. They're shouting, 187, 187. And I looked at them and I'm like, huh? Like, I just didn't understand what they meant. So I walk home. I turn on the news. And there, I see protesters against something called Proposition 187.
1: A group in Santa Ana has collected 600,000 signatures in favor of an initiative that would bar undocumented children from public schools.
0: And it turns out that this thing targets people like my dad. Its authors say illegal immigration is destroying California. About the only thing both sides agree on is that if the initiative called Prop 187 passes, it would have far-reaching effects in California and could influence the national debate over immigration. about those white boys, the 187 yellers at Anaheim High? They don't know if I have papers or not, but they don't care. They're obviously yelling at me because I'm a Mexican. And for them, that's no different than being a quote-unquote illegal. From the Los Angeles Times and Futuro Studios, I'm Gustavo Ariano, and this is The Battle of 187. It's the first story in our This Is California podcast. Part one, they keep coming. Take a look around the California of 2019. The state is a beacon for progressive politics in the US, a land of environmentalism and multiculturalism where vegans and Priuses roam and taco trucks stand on every corner. And it's the center of the hashtag resistance to President Trump and his policies
1: The Trump administration and California are swearing off again.
0: California is vowing to take the administration to court.
1: After the Trump administration announced that the 2020 census will include a question about citizenship, the state of California announced that it would sue to
0: challenge that decision. Democrats control both chambers of the state capitol with super majorities. They hold all offices of California's executive branch. Even Orange County, a place Ronald Reagan once described as where all the good Republicans go to die, is going Democrat. But it wasn't always this way. California was once something of a red state, or at least a purple one. It gave the U.S. Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. When people need a little sunshine in their lives and a feel for the optimism that
1: fills the soul of this beautiful country then I can assure them they'll find it
0: in Orange County. In 1994, California also gave us Proposition 187. It was one of the harshest laws targeting immigrants in modern U.S. history. And that same year, the state gave us this ad. They keep coming. Two million illegals in California. The federal government won't stop them at the border, yet requires us to pay billions to take care of them. It was a campaign spot for Governor Pete Wilson, a Republican running for re-election. That wannabe scary voice plays over grainy footage of people sprinting across the US-Mexico border like it was some 5K run. And then the ad ends with this really hopeful, angelic music as Pete Wilson promises to crack down on quote-unquote, them. I'm suing to force the federal government to control the borders. Enough is enough. Yet 25 years later, Proposition 187 and Pete Wilson made the Golden State bluer than Indigo you're probably saying, wait, what, how? But that's what this series is all about. About the time in 1994 that California Republicans went to war against illegal immigration and lost, bad. And how the legacy of those battles from 25 years ago influences America even today. Because before President Trump, there was Proposition 187.
1: Illegal immigration is gonna stop. It's dangerous, it's
0: terrible, We either have a border or we don't. And if we don't have a border, we don't have a country. Remember that. Now, let's begin our story. We're in fall 1993. Dr. Dre and Ice Cube are bumping on the radio in Southern California. The whole state is still reeling from Rodney King and the LA riots. National pundits say the California dream is over. And in the pretty suburban town of Yorba Linda, Orange County, Proposition 187 is about to be born. Yorba Linda is Nixon country, literally. He was born here. Big suburban tract homes that owners try to pass off as if they're in old Mexico with the tiled roof and street names in Spanish. Not many Mexicans around here though, just saying. Hi Barbara. Hello. Yes, this with LA Times. hi. Thank you so Barbara and Bob Kylie live here in a two-story home with 1980s era tan carpet and fluffy couches. You Bob. Hi, nice to meet you. Oh, okay. They're out of the game now, but for years they manage local Republican campaigns as political consultants. They've worked together for decades and can usually finish each other's sentences and stories. I'm visiting Barbara and Bob because they ran the 187 campaign. You could say they're 187's unlikely godparents. Unlikely because... We actually
1: did not see illegal immigration as a big problem for us. We live in a nice community. We didn't see it. But we did have a friend by the name of Ron Prince. And Ron was really looking to get involved.
0: Ron Prince plays a big part in our story. Lanky, with bushy eyebrows and a comb over, he was a gadfly in local Republican politics.
1: He wanted to do a statewide proposition
0: on anything. In California... Anyone who gets enough valid signatures, around 400,000 of them at that time, can place a proposition on the ballot about anything. It's a kind of direct democracy you don't see in most states. So Ron Prince, according to Barbara, wanted to think of an idea that might actually have a chance of passing.
1: He'd come here in his cowboy boots, and we'd give him a yellow legal pad and a pen.
0: And they'd tell him, go find an issue people really care about.
1: And ding-dong, on the doorbell on Saturday morning, He said, I think I have one. I just got ripped off by an illegal alien and he was supposed to be a contractor and he ripped me off.
0: So here's what happened. Ron said a contractor he was working with ripped him off for half a million dollars. According to Ron, the guy was an illegal Canadian. Later on, reporters would track down the contractor and it would turn out he was a legal resident. But anyways, Ron thinks, illegal immigration, that's a winner. And he goes out with his legal pad to a grocery store up the block from the Kylie's home and ask people a simple question. Do you believe illegal immigration is a problem in California?
1: He comes back with pages of signatures.
0: On that first time?
1: On that first time. You know, Ron, I think you got something here.
0: Now that Ron's got the Kylie's attention they start to work on a ballot measure that would become much bigger than they could have ever imagined. That's coming up. Stick around. We're back. It's easy to forget But fear of newcomers is as California a trait as earthquakes and in and out double-double cheeseburgers. Politicians have passed laws against nearly every new group to arrive here. Chinese, Japanese, Jews, African-Americans, Chileans. I mean, who doesn't like Chileans? Even Okies. But in the late 20th century, California's demographics were changing fast. 1990, the number of white residents dipped to less than 60 percent of the state's population, while the number of Latinos grew to 25 percent. Pilar Marrero is a journalist who came to Los Angeles from Venezuela in the 80s.
1: Well, first of all, when I came here, I was very surprised to see that this city was so Mexican, so Latino, you know, because that's not the image you get when you talk about L.A., like when
0: you see the shows from, t- you know, Hollywood on TV. More immigrants, legal and not, were in California than ever before, especially Latinos. Civil war in Central America had spurred an exodus. In Mexico, a weakening vessel pushed economic migrants north. It was just madness. That's Peter Nunez, who used to be the U.S. attorney for the San Diego area. There, he got a close-up of the California-Mexico border. You had what
1: they called banzai charges, where uh, before sunset, literally thousands of people would line up on the south side of the border, if you will.
0: Today, Nunez is a chairman of the board for the Center for Immigration Studies, a controversial think tank that wants to reduce immigration to the U.S. And he was just using a World War II metaphor, the banzai charges, which were suicide attacks by the Japanese, to describe people illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border in the 1980s. But the number of people he said was crossing the border in those days, it's true. And so is this scene. And as soon as the sun would go down, basically
1: they all started north. And you had, you know, maybe 50 border patrolmen. Uh, who knows? hundred. Let's say you had a hundred. People selling tacos and
0: bottled water. And Be like a big party. Like a big party, waiting for the sun to go down. While immigration is increasing in California, economic anxiety is also on the rise. The Cold War is ending causing the state to lose tens of thousands of middle-class jobs in the defense industry, a big part of the Golden State economy. The state suffers from an epic drought. A nationwide recession compounds everything. By 1991, in just his second year in office, Governor Pete Wilson faces a $12.5 billion budget shortfall. People need to know the truth. The truth is that the train leaving Sacramento station is a runaway. And he quickly puts some of the blame on undocumented immigrants. California legislators start proposing bills against them. And here comes Ron Prince with his cowboy boots and his clipboard, a guy from boring Tustin, California with payback on his mind. Here he is talking about undocumented immigrants on Latino USA, and heads up, this tape's from 1994, so it's a little hard to hear. They are largely responsible
1: for our black market economy because they work under the table uh,
0: for cash wages. So Ron goes to his friends, the Kylies, they're the Yerba Linda political consultants with this big idea to try to pass something against immigrants. First of all,
1: we didn't even know there were anti-illegal immigration groups out there. We'd never gone to a meeting. We never got a letter. In the, we didn't even know they existed.
0: But the Kylies say, what the hell? And they sign on to help Ron with his cause. They see it as a game, a puzzle to figure out.
1: So the experiment was, could you collect enough signatures for and pass... A grassroots proposition with no big money behind it. Just simply enough. Are there enough people involved and angry about a situation?
0: First things first, they need to assemble a committee of people to write it.
1: You know, we just went, okay, well, who do you know?
0: They look around and begin to put together a kind of ragtag Avengers, or Thanos, depending on who you're rooting for, of California anti-immigration hawks. They start with Harold Azel who used to work for the INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service.
1: What we're saying is anybody that isn't here legally should not be rewarded
0: for coming illegally. Before working for the INS, Harold, or Hal for short, was an executive at Wiener Schnitzel, a hot dog fast food chain. He has a reputation as a loudmouth with a singular obsession to stop illegal immigration. In reference to undocumented immigrants, he once told Time Magazine, if you catch them, you ought to clean them and fry them yourself.
1: HAL actually knew everybody who was involved in anti-illegal immigration movement.
0: Through HAL, the Kylies hooked up with Alan Nelson. Allen was HAL's former boss at the INS.
1: The illegal alien comes without any checking, and they often bring the diseases. So most of the contagious diseases are being brought in by the illegals.
0: Hal and Allen are connected to FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. It's an anti-immigration lobbying organization, long controversial for the white nationalist writings of its founder. They also connect with a woman named Barbara Coe. She's a former crime analyst for the Anaheim Police Department and a petite chain smoker who wears granny glasses. Coe started a group that leaves cards at businesses suspected of employing undocumented workers. The cards read, Stop the Invasion. Close our borders now. Deny benefits to illegal aliens now. More people eventually join, but this is the core of the Pro-187 crew. They're an odd mix of former immigration officials and middle-aged suburbanites.
1: So, um, we started to have meetings.
0: With their Avengers assembled at a private members-only club in Costa Mesa, they start to work on writing the actual proposition, it's October 5th, 1993.
1: Everybody knew that history was going to start. We knew we knew that. We knew this was going to make a difference, whether we succeeded or
0: failed. What they put together is an all-out assault on undocumented immigrants. There's eight sections of 187, so I'll just sum up the lowlights. Block undocumented immigrants from social services and public health care. Force workers in those sectors to report anyone they suspected of having no papers to the INS. But the group saves the worst for last. Kids without papers would no longer be able to attend public schools, from kindergarten to college. The Kylies and their crew know that this last provision is extreme and probably unconstitutional, but they put it in anyway.
1: So it would gather the media attention. So it would send up the red flags that everybody wanted to talk about it and everybody would have an opinion about it. And that's when it really took off.
0: Once 187 is written, the Kylie send it to the Republican mailing lists to see if they can get enough signatures for it to qualify for the November 1994 ballot. Every day, their P.O. box is full, full of signatures pledging support for their proposition, full of envelopes stuffed with donations. Here's Barbara's husband, Bob.
1: And it just caught on. It was like wildfire. I mean, you go to the mailbox, we had a small mailbox. <laughs> Post office yeah, well, would say, "Look, uh, could you do? That. Yeah, could you get a bigger one because this isn't working out for us." I mean, and then I said, "What do you mean?" She bring out, I mean, boxes. How many of these boxes do you have? We have three. Three today.
0: One eighty-seven says nothing about any ethnic groups. It didn't have to. Why do you think the issue resonated so much with people? Because all
1: of a sudden. I think in certain areas of Santa Ana, in LA and there, there was a huge influx of Latino people. And I think a lot of white people like I am were felt threatened. In a poor area, they took over the neighborhoods and that the people there, some of the people there resented
0: the fact that that's what was happening to their neighborhood. It's true, you know, When my family moved to a new home in Anaheim in 1989, our street was half white. By 1994, only two white households remained. Those who left missed out on my dad's awesome carnitas, so they're lost. Anyways, on June 23rd, 1994, Ron Prince's crusade qualifies for the November ballot, where it'll go by Proposition 187. By coincidence, the same number that California's penal code assigns to murder. The group decides to try to get support for their anti-immigrant measure by using a new tagline, Save Our State. Who thought of the idea to call this a Save Our State initiative?
1: Uh, About four uh, margaritas at uh, El Torito.
0: Damn. El Torito is a Mexican restaurant chain in Orange County. Now, I'm not sure that the Kylies and their crew purposefully ate Mexican food on the day they raised their margarita glasses and toasted to an attack on undocumented people. But they probably imagined they were on the right side of history when they named their campaign Save Our State, S-O-S for short. The logo of their campaign was an inner tube they imagined they were throwing out to a drowning California. What the group didn't know in that moment was that Latinos weren't going to take 187 quietly. That both sides were getting ready to gear up for one of the most dramatic fights in California's political history. One that still resonates all over the country today. It was about to get ugly. Coming up on the next episode of the Battle of 187.
1: I mean, it was a huge turnout, and they carried Mexican flags. It killed us. As soon as the press picks up on that, it's going to be in every newspaper. It's going to be on every radio station. It was a gift. Thank you very much. I don't have to do any more. It's over.
0: That's next time on This is California, the Battle of 187, a collaboration between the Los Angeles Times and Futuro Studios. The Battle of 187 was written and reported by me, Gustavo Arellano, and by Marlon Bishop, our engineers are Stephanie Laboe at Futuro Studios and Mike Heflin at LA Times Studios. Production help from Lita Hallowell, Adriana Tapia, and Paige Heimson. Special thanks to NPR, KCRW, Loyola Marymount, and the Huntington Library for access to their archives. Our theme music is Salsa from Niña Dios, courtesy of Nacional Records. Our editors at the LA Times are Hector Becerra, Reed Johnson, Shelby Grad, and Julia Turner. The Battle of 187 is executive produced by Abby Fentress Swanson for the Los Angeles Times and Marlon Bishop for Futuro Studios. See you next time. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, part two of This is California, The Battle of 187. How Latino youth rebelled against a proposition. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is, well, we need one, so apply to be our jefa of jefas, please. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown, and our theme music is by Andrew Eben. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news on Desmadre. Gracias.